Well, it's great to see you all. I'm sure most of you are excited to be here, so thank you for, for coming and worshiping with us. It's fantastic. Uh, we've got some very exciting stuff happening. Uh, it's uh, happening now, not in the distant future. It's happening now. So next week we have the ice cream social. Everyone excited to eat some ice cream? I mean, like some people are like, eh, I'll come to church, but ice cream? Okay, I'll come for ice cream. So please invite all of your friends um, you guys are all here. You are all of my friends, so thank you for coming. Uh, yeah, we're excited. So sign up to bring a topping. We have a lot of toppings that are, have been signed up for. Don't, uh, just bring some more, or don't bring any. Just come and eat ice cream. That's okay, too. So next week, again, after church, we're going to have that. Uh, we have the family movie night, which is going to happen uh, the following weekend, and then we have uh, the night of worship, which is the 28th, and so we're excited for that. Uh, yeah, it's going to be super fun. Uh, just a lot of fun, exciting things happening in the not-so-distant future. We even have like the Trunk or Treat or Harvest Carnival, whatever we're going to call it. I'm not sure yet. Uh, but we're going to have the, the bins that are going to be outside. We're going to bring, so keep bringing candy. So we're going to start. We're going to fill those bins. We're going to give away roughly 2,000 pounds of candy. Um, 1,000 pounds is for my family and then the rest please don't give my kids candy. Like, I love, I love my kids. I love them, but please, please don't give them candy. Uh, so, yeah, we're excited. We're going to start filling those things. We're going to need lots and lots of uh, volunteers. So start thinking about and praying about, like, uh, the Harvest Carnival. Is, it's on a Monday night, uh, you know, October 31st, and we're going to need people to, like, you know, run all sorts of stuff. Uh, so if you have ideas of booths you'd like to run or things you'd like to volunteer with, we have a volunteer like sign-up list out there, or you can talk to uh, uh, Mish, this lady over here sitting next to my wife in the Star Spangled Banner shirt we got over here. Uh, so please uh, sign up. There's lots of cool stuff. If you're wondering, hey, there's nothing for me to do, there's plenty for you to do. We have lots of stuff. Uh, so yeah, we're really excited. You can make a difference. I like that. The little heart. It's not girly enough. Can we get a more girly thing up there? No, that's as, okay, that's as girly as you get. We turn the girly setting up to 10. Uh, the church is growing, and all of us elders, we are excited. We're excited to be a part of the family here. And there's room for everybody, and there's room for everybody to serve. So please, again, do not feel like you do not have a place. Uh, we're excited to get you uh, linked up serving somewhere. So we're going to continue our, our study, the book of Philippians. I know you guys are like, still? How are we still in this book? It's so short. It takes me five minutes to read the whole thing, uh, but it's going to take me 25 weeks to go through the whole thing. Not quite, but we're close. Okay, so again, uh, the book of Philippians, if you have your physical Bible with you, it's about 90% of the way through your Bible, book of Philippians. Uh, we've studied through chapter 2, verse 11, so we're going to continue this week. We're going to start in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 12 through 17, and it looks like a couple people are still flipping there. Uh, I love it when you use your phone. It's like it's almost instantaneous when you use your phone to, to look it up. <laughs> Some people are like, man, it's faster for me to use a physical Bible than my phone, so. Very cool. Uh, again, I, I always highly encourage you to, to double-check anything that a pastor or anything that a teacher tells you, this is in the Bible, make sure you double-check for yourself so they're not uh, pulling your leg or saying something that's not there. Uh, I'd never want to preach out of the first book of my opinions, so it's exciting to... Some of you got that. Okay, uh, starting in verse 12, this is what it says. 
Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, Obeyed. How many of you hate that word, obey? You can be honest, you know, you can, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not the world's most favorite term to obey, because that means that, you know, somebody's in charge. Really, our culture is built upon the belief that we are um, destined and designed and encouraged to be disobedient. I mean, we, we even have movies where we, we celebrate those who are defiant, who go against the tyrannical leaders known as their parents. They defy all the odds, and somehow they make it out okay. Uh, this isn't just a now problem. It's a people problem. It's, it's not even a leadership problem. I mean, uh, Catherine and I, we work really hard and try really hard to be pretty good parents most of the time. Uh, we are steadfast in our love. Uh, we are steadfast in our rules. The kids know exactly what is right and what is wrong, and yet it seems like they still do whatever they can to get punished, and they do it right in front of our faces at times. Uh, My children are unlike the Philippian church because it says, you have always obeyed. I love my kids. I love them to death, but they, I don't even think they 20% obey, so (laughs) that's pretty far off. From always, and if and if we're being honest with ourselves, uh, we're pretty far off from always obeying too. Maybe, maybe some of us can admit that. Uh, how many of us wake up and we pray for the Lord? We just pray, Lord, make us more obedient. God, I just I want to be more obedient. Make me more obedient uh, to my boss. God, make me more obedient to my spouse. God. Especially for women, you're just like, God, please help me to obey my husband, right? That's what we wake up. You guys, you guys pray that every day. I know you do. I know you do. Okay, maybe we don't. We don't like that word, right? Children, obey your father and mother. Workers, obey your boss. Members of the church, obey your elders. We don't like that word, but it's in, it's in the Bible. And I'm not, I'm not making it up. It's, right? Didn't we read that together? Is it in your Bible, obey? Okay, just double checking. Okay, so some of you are like, I already don't like where the sermon is going. Uh, our desire, our desire as a, as a church is that we will all obey all that God has called us to obey. Right? Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Obedience needs to be at the forefront of our understanding or we will never change. We're going to say that again. Obedience needs to be at the forefront of our understanding or we will never change who we are. We have to start with obedience so that when, the, when God says, our Bible says, this is who we're supposed to be, we have to believe that we are called to be obedient 
and trust that, believe in that, live in that. It has to be at the forefront or we will never change to be more like Jesus. Does that make sense? Obedience and faith, they go hand in hand. Obedience is living out your faith. What God tells us to do, we trust and obey him to do. What Jesus says goes always. If what I believe disagrees with what the Bible says, then I have to change. Which is completely countercultural to what we see in the rest of society, but that's, that's what obedience is. If what I believe, if what I'm doing is, is, uh, is disobedient to what I see in Scripture, then I need to change. So when Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, it begins with obedience. Some of you, I can tell that some of you don't like this message already. Some of you are like, I came to hear a feel-good message. I don't want to be told I need to obey. I don't like that. Uh, this passage, it, it, it can be confusing for us. It, it, it can be because you look at it and go, man, this, this, doesn't, this doesn't like feel right, right? We're supposed to work out our salvation with, with fear and trembling. How do we work out our, our own salvation? I, I thought it was a free gift from God. How do we work it out, right? How do, how do we make my salvation like stronger, right? Is like salvation a, a large weight that we have to continue to pick up and put down and, until we just get really swole? Is that what God is saying, that we all need to be professional weightlifters of salvation? Yeah, I think so. Maybe like your Bibles, like your creatine, like your, you know, steroids, and yeah, you just got the bigger your Bible is, the bigger your muscles will be. Is salvation part of like CrossFit or something? Did I miss that part? I mean, it's got cross in its name, so maybe that's what this passage is talking about. No, he's, no. It, so Paul, is, he's speaking to a church. These people are already saved by grace through faith. So working out your salvation means they're working on their, we're about to get a Christianese word, right? We got a couple of those we're going to talk about today. Christianese, right? Things you don't ever hear outside of the church uh, called sanctification, Sanctification, there's a, I think there's some silent letters in there somewhere, but uh, it's a word that means being more like Jesus and less like the world, being sanctified, being holy. Now, the only reason we can do that is because of Christ's work of, this is our second Christianese word of the day, regeneration. Now, regeneration is a word that I think most of us understand. What does it mean to regenerate? Right, like, like a starfish, right, can get like an, an arm cut off, or, and then it will regenerate, which means the old one is gone and the, the new one is there. And so Christ's work of regeneration, which we celebrate through baptism, right, Romans chapter 6, when we're, we're dipped into the water, we die to ourselves, we're raised to walk in a newness, newness of life. We cannot be sanctified until we've gone through the regenerative work of, of, of baptism in the Holy Spirit. Does, does, does that make sense? So sanctification is the act, right? It's our whole lifelong journey of being more like Jesus and less like ourselves, being made holy. Regeneration is being made new. We can't be sanctified until we've been made new. Does that make sense? Are you guys with me here? Yes. Okay, so Jesus, this is his work. He's doing this 
within us when we put our faith in Him. Uh, our old self is buried with Christ. Regeneration is newness. All that is old is passed away. Only the new is left. So we are no longer degenerates. We are regenerates. Amen? Amen. So Christ is all the work of regeneration. He gives you the ability to conquer sin that is within you and around you so that we can do the work of sanctification. Work out your salvation. Be sanctified. Do never be content. Never be content with how far you've come, but constantly be seeking to be more like Jesus. When you get a puppy, some of you that love puppies, you have a lot of work to do in training that puppy to be a dog. And you do so through consistent, loving commands, which are accompanied by treats and spankings. And you do the same thing when you train your husbands. Uh, <laughs> right? That's not how you load the dishwasher, right? The plastic's going tough. Uh, so when Paul says, when he says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he isn't warning you. He isn't saying, hey, uh, you should be terrified because you're going uh, to hell. He's saying you're, you're going to heaven. You have salvation in Christ. Continue to work it out. God is a really big, really amazing uh, God that we should be, like he, he's that perfect heavenly father. And some of us compare our own fathers to him, but he's not like that. He's, he's already saved us. Yet we should be constantly searching to become more like Jesus. Our journey is never done, which is great. It's amazing because it doesn't matter how old you are, your journey, your faith in Christ, you are never done working out your salvation until the day of Christ's return, which is great. And we're told that God is doing this work in you and through you. Uh, so let's, I'm going to try something really quick. Uh, let's see. Uh, everyone who was born after 1972. So if you're born after 1972, raise your hand. After 1972. Okay, about a third, about a third of us. Okay, put your hands down. Okay, everyone who loves the ocean, raise your hand. You love the ocean. Okay, all right, you can put your hand down. What about uh, everyone who puts pineapple on their pizzas? Raise your hand. Oh, thank you. We got some pineapple lovers. Fruit goes on pizza. We should start that. Okay, all right, we can put our hand down. Okay, uh, what about everyone who is alive? Go ahead, raise your hands. Everyone who is alive. Some of the teenagers are like, not me. I'm defiant. Okay, uh, if you... If you raised your hand just right then, if you are alive, you are uniquely chosen and uniquely gifted by God. Do you understand that? You are uniquely chosen and uniquely gifted by God, and you are gifted to do a task that is far greater than yourself. I hate the phrase, I hate the phrase when people say, God won't give you anything that you can't handle. I hate that phrase. Don't ever say it to me. I swear I'll slap you. No. Um, here's why I hate that phrase. Uh, if you're going to do God-like work, he's going to give you things that are much bigger than you. If we're going to trust in God to do things that only he can do, he's going to call us to do things that only he can do through us, which are much greater than we can handle. God's going to give you a lot of things that you can't handle so that he can do them through you. There have been several moments in your life, especially if you're more um, well-aged, uh, if you've seen a couple years, there's been some moments in your life that, man, you thought before it happened, I could never make it through this. 
I, I could never do that. I, I would die. I could never make it through that. And now you've lived through them. And you've lived through several of those moments that you thought would kill you. And now you're stronger having come out on the other side because of Jesus. And when we look at the tasks that God has called us to do, he's calling us to do tasks that are far greater than ourselves. The exciting part is, again, our job is just to sign up and say yes. Our job is just to raise our hands and go all in. Each and every one of us are commanded by Scripture to invite others to know and follow Jesus. It's not, it's not a gifting that, well, you know, some people are called to evangelize. Yeah, some people have the gift of evangelism. There's a, a pastor here. His name was uh, Tom. Uh, you know, I love Tom, and, and he's a great guy. It seems like every time he opens his mouth, five to ten people, like, decide to get baptized. So there's people that have that gift. That you're like, okay, that's really powerful and great. Uh, but not all of us have the gift of evangelism, but each and every one of us are called to bring other people to know and to follow Jesus. And I know I'm a math nerd. Like, if, if you know me, you're like, man, this dude loves math way too much. Uh, but uh, let, let's just do some quick math, right? And some, this is where half of you fall asleep. Uh, so I'm excited to talk about this. Uh, each week, we have around 100 people in total that attend this service. 100 people. So one, zero, zero. There are around 40,000 people in the greater uh, Grants Pass area, according to a census taken in 2020. Could be around 42. We don't know what the estimates actually are. Doesn't really matter. If each person of all of us hundred just brought one person to church or to Jesus a year, again, we're not talking about reaching 50 people, each and every person. If each person in this room brought one person to know Jesus or to come to church every year, uh, how many years would it take to reach all of Grant's Pass? Some of you are like, can I take off my shoes? Or... <laughs> I did the math for you. Uh, you can double check later on your calculator. It would take eight and a half years. Not like you know, eight and a half years, like, that, that's nothing. That's nothing. My kids, my kids will still be in school eight and a half years from now to reach all of Grants Pass. Okay, uh, that, that seems like, okay, yeah, maybe we, we could probably do that. Um, if we continued that trend, how long would it take to reach all of Oregon? Again, this is just one person every year. Not 10, not 50, not, not 100, just one person per person. You're pairing up. You're bringing one person to church or one person to Jesus. How long would it take to reach all of Oregon? 16 years. Okay. Uh, how long would it take to bring every single person in the United States to Christ? <laughs> 22 years. 
Again, this isn't, this isn't every person being Billy Graham where we're preaching in front of 150,000 people and we're peeing our pants. You know, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just, we're just talking about bringing one person, that person that you meet at the grocery store. That's, uh, that person is your neighbor, your uncle, your cousin, your brother, your sister. How many of us know people that we would just love to bring to church, love to bring to Jesus? Just one person. How long would it take to reach the entire world if every person just brought one person to church or to Jesus? every year. Just starting in this room, not all of the Christians in America, just everyone in this room, how long would it take if we just brought one person every year? All of America took 22 years. The entire world would take 26 years. How many of you worked jobs for longer than 26 years? When we truly understand and believe that 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 Satan loves to tempt us and make us think it's way harder than it actually is to reach the whole world for Jesus. Again, we're not talking about bringing a million people yourself to know the Lord. We're just talking about one. Every 52 weeks, bringing one person to church, one person to Jesus, 26 years it would take to reach eight plus billion people. All right, how about some easier math now that some of your brains are fried? Uh, Paul continues in, in, in verse 14. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Okay, uh, percentage-wise, how many things? He says, do all things. Now, that is some easy math. You don't need a calculator. 100% of things. How many things out of 10 are we supposed to do without grumbling or disputing? 10. Yeah, do all things, right? Uh, what about our relationship with our spouse, right? Do all things. What about, uh, you know, boyfriends or girlfriends? Or what about with our kids and grandkids? How many things do we do without Okay, but some of us have really contentious relationships, right? Uh, what about those things? Do we, those relationships, do we do those without? Okay. Um, what if you have that person that, you know, says really stupid things whenever you're around them? <laughs> right? Uh have you ever heard someone say something so stupid that you are incapable of not responding? Most of the people in this room call that person their husband. Um, that, that's just speaking from my wife. Yeah, so thankfully she's laughing. Um, yeah, uh, all joking aside, right, we, we have to be accommodating. We have to be moldable. Um, if, if people say that, that they like pineapple on their pizza and you don't think pineapple belongs on pizza, you can talk about it without arguing. If people say that they love Joe Biden and you don't love Joe Biden, how many things do we do without grumbling or disputing? Oh, all things, all things, all things. Okay, we live in a very argumentative culture. Is that true? Uh, 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this, he says uh, that they were in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. But things have changed now, right? We are, we're just like, 
Okay, so when he says do all things in the midst of a crooked generation, he's talking to us. That's the, that's the generation that we are in the midst of. And people say things, they just like, how do, how do I not become argumentative? How do I not say something that I know is going to start a fight? Be blameless, be innocent, be so different than the world that we will shine bright. Shine bright like a diamond, right? In this crazy, evil, argumentative cancel culture that we live in. If we forgive other people, we refuse to judge them, and we're willing to let stuff go just right away, it will change your life, and it will change the environment of everyone that, you, that surrounds you. If we forgive quickly, and we refuse to judge others, and we're willing to just let stuff go, that is the only way to not be grumbling uh, or disputing. Let's continue in verse 16. He says, Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. So this is the church in Philippi, right? This, is, this church is Paul's baby. Paul's the author. And he, he's the one that he really started this church. He planted this church. He personally baptized the first leaders of this church. He was the one that, that got them going. Uh, you know, it was Christ, but it was, it was Paul's work. It was Christ's work through Paul. And he saw to it that the word of Christ was brought to Macedonia. Macedonia was the the bigger area, and uh, Philippi is in that region, and in verse 14, he commands them to do all things, and now he is imploring them to not make his work in vain. Paul longs to boast of how amazing the church in Philippi is, you know, in the same way that I boast of y'all, and he says, hold fast to the word of life. What is the word of life? We're going to look at a passage so I can prove my point, but it's, it's the words of Jesus. It's the, it's the Bible. That is your words of life. Uh, John 6, we're not, I'm not going to have you flip there unless you want to, but if you want to, we're going to read verses uh, 66 through uh, 69. Uh, don't be offended. It's John 6, you know, verse 66. Don't look into that. It's not like we're doing something weird here. Uh, but this is, this is the story. This is what happened. So uh, Jesus, uh, the, it was getting late. Jesus was teaching the crowds, and, and there was a boy, right? And he had some fish and some bread, right? And the disciples, they came to Jesus, and they go, hey, send the people away so that they can go back to their villages and eat. And then Jesus tells them, no, 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 you give them something to eat. And we learn later that there was like 5,000 plus like, people there, so... Jesus, like the disciples are like, there's 12 of us. We have no food. We found one kid who has food, which is like, that, w- that would have been me. Like, I'm not going anywhere without some snacks, right? <laughs> and so that's this kid. Uh, he's got uh, two fish and five loaves. Uh, and Jesus makes that food enough to feed 5,000 people. So much so that they even have 12 baskets of bread left over after they, they feed all of those people. Jesus does, uh, it's, a, it's a crazy, cool miracle. Um, and, and it gets stranger because 
every time that I think about Jesus performing a miracle, he does so so that everyone will follow him. Everyone will just be like, yes, you are the Christ. This is amazing. How did you do that? Uh, can you turn one medium pizza into 50? I got a school party next week. It would be great. And so uh, Jesus does this, and he, he tells all the people that, that were listening, he goes, hey, I, I did this so that you would know and that you would believe that I, this is Jesus, he says, I am the bread of life. He's reminding them of, of the manna that was in the wilderness. He's like, that, that's me. I'm the bread. I am your sustenance. And the people that were listening, they were so deeply concerned by the cannibalistic implications and possibly blasphemous words that Jesus had just spoken, right? Because he's saying, this, I'm the bread and you're eating the bread. I'm like, do we need to eat your body? And he says, well, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And they started grumbling and disputing. Ah, do you hear what he just said? This dude's weird and gross. And it went around all, all the people that were there, all the people he had just fed. And they were grumbling and disputing. All right, so this is what it says. This is in verse 66, and I know the context. It says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go, go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is what Paul wants our response to be as well. No matter what happens to us in this life, we would always look toward Jesus and the Bible and firmly state that we know that Jesus is the Holy One of God and only He has the words of life. I have to ask us though now, how many of us are getting words of life from somewhere else? And when I'm talking about words of life, these are the words that, that we live by, the truths that we live by, that we firmly plant our feet in who or what do you give the space to in your life that their words can change you, that can change your belief to your very core? Uh, maybe uh, what, what do you consume on a daily basis that has molded and shaped who you are and what you care about or what you believe? Is it the news? Is it social media? I mean, what has CNN, Instagram, Fox, CBS, or any other network ever given you but more displeasure and more grumbling? I'm not saying we can't do these things, but if, they're, if they are encouraging us to be more discontent and more filled with shame, why do we consume so much of it? There is nothing, nothing, that you can consume other than the words of Jesus and the Bible that will mold you into a copy of Jesus that will make you shine as a city on a hill. And I'm not, I'm not left, I'm not saying left or right or, or this is bad or this is good, but what I am saying is that Bible that you're holding in your hands right now. You got all those questions of, man, how come I'm not the, the believer I want to be? Well, what's... What's in your core? What are the things that you know inside and out? Is it your job? 
Is it whatever book series you like to read? And again, this isn't me being judgmental. This is me saying that Paul and, and Jesus, they, they gave us, they gave us the playbook. If you want to be the person that you've already always desired to be in Christ, you need to ingest the words of life. And they need to be so solid within you that they pour out. You're overfilling with the words of Jesus. I'm going to call the, the worship team uh, back up here. Uh, and, and don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that you can't read you know, books that aren't the Bible. But what I am saying is that all the truth about who you are and who God is, all the truth that you are looking for in your life, trying so desperately to find, it's all found in its completeness in the Bible. If you want to follow biblical commands and do all things without grumbling or disputing and change the world for Jesus, you need to know what those biblical commands are. You need to know who you are called to be. And you need to know who God is. If you don't know who God is and you're, and you're searching for, for direction outside of the Bible, you will always be left disappointed. I and the leaders of this church, we want what is best for you in your life. And I'm overwhelmingly convinced and concerned with the mental health and spiritual health of, of, of who you are because I only get 40 minutes. I only get 40 minutes with you a week where I can bring you back to the truth in Jesus. So this is, this is your opportunity to spend more time in order to make a deep impact. I can't, I can't make you want to, but I can pray that you will. God is imploring you to know him and us as a church leadership. We're trying to give you every opportunity to succeed in knowing what God has for you in your life. So keep pressing, keep pushing, don't give up. God is doing great things. He's not going to do great things in you. He is doing great things right now. And I want you to know that just as Paul was proud of the church in Philippi, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of us. If you've been wondering whether or not you should start attending that Bible study, the answer is yes. If you've been wondering whether or not you should start that, that Bible reading series, the answer is yes. You will never regret spending more time investing in yourself in Scripture. God has written you a letter, and he's called you to something great. And for most of us, it's waiting for us in the Word of God and in, in our prayers. And I know that sometimes it's like when you go to the doctor, and you go, you know, at least for me, well, doc, what do I got to do to be healthy? He goes, well, you should eat less and exercise more, right? And when you come to the church, the pastor goes, hey, what should I do to be healthy? And you go, well, you should read your Bible more and pray more, right? But we, we say that stuff because it's true, because it, it's true. And I can personally attest to how true that is in my life and through me. I am not the person I used to be. I have been molded and shaped by the Holy Spirit and the holy words of God, and I'm constantly searching to be more like Jesus. And I want everyone that's in this room and listening online to join me in that journey. You will never regret the time you spent praying and reading your Bible. All right, let's pray. So, Father, we're so grateful for the opportunities we have to make an impact on the world. God, how amazing is it that 2,000 years ago, you started 
this amazing journey of, of bringing the whole world to know and to follow you. God, we're, we're uh, thousands of miles away from where you started. So God, help us to continue to reach thousands of miles more outward, but God, help us to start with ourselves. God, help us to long to work out our salvation with fear and trembling so that we, we may be more like you and less like ourselves. And uh, Father, we just ask all of these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.